Hello and welcome. I'm Ben Schultz. I'm Nora Schultz. And you're listening to Trying to Adapt, and today we're trying to adapt to A Christmas Carol, the 1951 film version starring Alastair Sim as Scrooge. This is part two of our very long discussion about what we would probably consider the best, uh, most classic kind of version. Uh, so when the Ghost of Christmas present arrives, Scrooge has already come around to the idea that, like, he's a bad guy and he made all these bad decisions and he never should have become such a mean, nasty businessman. But he also says, I'm too old and beyond hope. Go and redeem some younger, more promising creature. Leave me to keep Christmas in my own way. I like that addition, because then otherwise I think his conversations with the ghosts start to get a little bit repetitive, or at the very least the pacing starts to get sort of weird, where it seems like Scrooge is almost there, and then maybe he falls back a little, and then the ghost of Christmas present comes, and once again it's like, oh, he's making more progress, and then, oh no, he still needs another ghost. Then no, like, the ghost of Christmas past has fully accomplished his job of making Scrooge feel bad about what he's done. As he should have, because he spent so long doing it. Exactly. Exactly. But here, I think, like, this really, like, the writers of this script really were thinking about, like, the difference between what the Ghost of Christmas past, present, and future have to show him. Because he says to the Ghost of Christmas present, like, he's become fully aware that, like, yes, I've done wrong things, but what at this point in the present, get it, can I do about it? Right, but the problem with this is that... Scrooge has come around to the idea that he needs to be redeemed. He just doesn't believe that he can do it, that he's too old and it's too late. The problem here is that the spirit of Christmas present and the spirit of Christmas yet to come never do anything that would make him reconsider that specific part of his argument. I think that's fair, but I think they also just... Because it's one thing to like go through his memories, and it's like, well, that's all squared away. But what the Ghost of Christmas present does, rather than really directly suggesting something to him, is just saying, like, just showing him, like, what's currently going on. And I think that alone is enough to move Scrooge into, like, I think his his concept that, like, he's too old to change, I think, is more of an excuse than it is a, like, a genuine consideration that Scrooge has. But then he still says the same thing after the Ghost of Christmas Present leaves. Once again, he says, I am too old. I cannot change. (laughs) So clearly, you know, in that specific particular way, the Ghost of Christmas Present didn't have an impact on his thinking, and I don't quite understand why the Ghost of Christmas yet to come showing him his grave is supposed to shake him out of that, because it just, again, reinforces the fact that, like, he's going to die soon. Yeah, I agree that the Ghost of Christmas present, I mean, the Ghost of Christmas yet to come um, scene in this one is a little, is lacking, because I think once again it has the issue where it, like, focuses only on his grave, not on the fact that nobody's there. And again, like, Scrooge is like, oh, I want to erase the writing from the stone. Like, that's not the problem, Ebenezer. No, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. Yeah. Really quick, though, I think to address what you were talking about, the Ghost of Christmas Present and the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come, in this scene, I mean, in this adaptation, it almost seems like one continuous scene. 
And as you pointed out while we were watching it, the ghost of Christmas present is really more the ghost of, like, very near future. Because these aren't things that are going on during Christmas Eve. They're going on tomorrow. Like, there's still, like, he can still change what he's about to see, and he does. So I think that their message is kind of two-part. They tag-team it, which is why I think it takes two of them for him to fully understand, I can still change this. We get a very short scene right after the Ghost of Christmas Present arrives. A place where miners live, who labor in the bowels of the earth, but they know me. Which is something which is mentioned and brought up in the original book, not usually included in adaptations, because, I mean, there's really nothing that can be said about it that can't also be said about the scene with the Cratchits in the present sequence. I mean, what I do like is that, like, once again, the Cratchits seem, like, pretty middle class. At least here, the miners do, like, look and seem legitimately poor. However, the only, like, like the miners scene is basically just them, like, singing a Christmas carol all huddled around a fire, and then it cuts to, like, the Ghost of Christmas President Scrooge, like, walking down the street. Right, because, like, the thing is that the point of this scene with the miners singing the Christmas carol is to say, well, Christmas is such a joyous time that it makes sad poor people happy, which is also the point of the Cratchit scene, uh, even if they don't do a particularly good job in making the Cratchits appear to be destitute. I, I, I swear to God, I've said this in every single episode, but I just, I feel like the Cratchits need to seem poorer. And that feels like a weird That's, thing to say. See, and it's like it's the same critique I have with this Tiny Tim, where I feel like he maybe is full of too much energy. Oh, they never get Tiny Tim right. I think it was like the one like animated version we we saw where like Tiny Tim seemed legitimately like weak and struggling. Which again, like this sounds like a horrible thing to say, but I think that's like. That is what reinforces the point. It seems kind of weird for Scrooge to, like, take such instant pity on Tiny Tim. If he seems like a perfectly happy, healthy kid, he just kind of has a bad leg. Yeah, that that is usually how he's depicted. A perfectly normal child who's, like, not clearly disabled, except for the fact that, like, he has a crutch. This Cratchit scene in general, I made um, a lot of different remarks, as I tend to, because I have a lot of problems with the Cratchits in most adaptations. Um, this one wasn't really a problem, it was more of a question. But like the um, the scene where like Martha like hides from Cratchit and then she's like, oh, I could make it after all. This one, like, it comes so close to telling us where Martha was without doing it. Like, it seems like she was working somewhere. Maybe we can assume, like, at, like, a textile mill or something, and she's, like, coming home from... It's really... It's not clear, and I think it would have been so easy to just tell us what was going on there. That scene gets weirder the younger Martha is portrayed to be, and in this version, Martha is, like, pretty young. Yeah, I mean, in this one, Martha's, like, my age, and um, it's not clear exactly, like, where she's coming from that, like, she would have been held up. Like I said, like, maybe, you know, some kind of, like, mill that she was working at, considering the fact that they're poor. Like, I'm, she's not coming back from school, I assume. <laughs> this is um, a remark about tiny tim in general but like this adaptation specifically includes the part where cratchit's talking about tiny tim and he's like oh he told me he wasn't going to feel shy if people looked at him because he was a cripple as it might be pleasant to them being in church to remember upon christmas day 
Who made lame beggars walk and blind men see? <laughs> Which never really makes much sense because clearly he missed one. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that kind of like points to the like if any if I were sitting in church and I saw this like praying kid with like a bad leg, I'd be like, how come he has to suffer, God? You know, <laughs> this would start to poke holes maybe in like the theory that Jesus cares about everybody rather than doing the opposite. Yeah, and then there's the part where Bob Cratchit wants to have a toast to Ebenezer Scrooge. I give you, Mr. Scrooge. The founder of the feast. Oh, no, 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 I wish I had him here now. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast himself upon. And he says, My dear, the children, Christmas Day. But in this version, the children are like joining in with their mom in talking about how bad Scrooge is. So it's not like, what is he protecting them from exactly? <laughs> yeah. In general, I love the dynamic between Cratchit and his wife. <laughs> Specifically that here, like, she calls him Robert dismissively, and he responds with just, My dear, Christmas Day! I love them. Um, I also like that, like, once again, kind of with the minor scene, we get a scene where, like, we see the legitimate, like, poor, like, this is presumably one of the poor houses that Scrooge references early on. Um, and here we see Alice, who doesn't really seem like she's aged that much. Even though, like, Scrooge has aged so much, they've gotten an entirely different actor who looks nothing like him to play him. Alice is the same woman with, like, slightly gray hair. She's working with the poor, and, um, obviously Scrooge, like an idiot, tries to talk to her and that sort of thing. Like, he approaches her, but... One thing I do find kind of interesting about this is that, like, now Scrooge knows, like, what his former fiancé is up to on Christmas... It doesn't seem like he makes any attempt, like, now or into the future to, like, maybe reassure her that, like, I had a change of heart after all. <laughs> like, that seems like that would maybe kind of... That, it almost seems like that would be, like, a touching, um, emotional scene that they're building up to by showing, like, oh, now Scrooge knows what Alice is up to, but no. I guess it's... I mean, he found the real love of his life, Jacob Marley. I guess I appreciate the fact it would have been kind of creepy if they had had Scrooge, like, go out and, like, look for Alice and try to win her back. Well, I mean, not win her back, but just, like, so that Alice doesn't die thinking, like, man, remember that time I almost married that Scrooge guy? He was a total asshole. I bet he's still an asshole now. That's, I think you're right. And I think, <laughs> I... <laughs> Like, I think it would have just been nice not to win her back because obviously so many years have passed since then, but just to have Scrooge approach her and maybe just say, like, even, like, in a in a non-ghost-related way, <laughs> to be like, I was thinking about what you said to me. Thirty all, years ago. All those years ago. You know, he doesn't have to specify when he had this change of heart, but just say, like... I've thought about what you said to me, and I really have tried to become a better man. That, that would have been some nice closure. That would have been nice. And it would have... <laughs> that would have been a lot better than if he, like, showed up and was like, Hey, so, remember how 30 years ago you broke off our engagement because I was a huge asshole? Well, I had some ghosts come to me and tell me that I shouldn't be an asshole, and I realized, hey, maybe you were right all along. Want to get married again? <laughs> Alice definitely seemed, like, younger than Scrooge. 
Yeah, which is weird because in the like early scenes they seem to be about the same age. But here it seems like Alice is maybe like 10, 20 years younger than Scrooge. But then again, like um, as shown like as, like by the fact that like Alistair Sim plays like a slightly younger Scrooge, like he's clearly not that old. Like they just kind of put some very slightly aging makeup on him and call it a day. So, like, I mean, in general, it's kind of ambiguous exactly how old Scrooge is. You know, I feel like he could be anywhere from, like, 50 to 75. <laughs> He's 43 years old. It's just that being an <laughs> asshole ages you physically. Or maybe it's just living in Victorian London that, like, he seems old by, like, Dickensian standards. Um, yeah. So, Scrooge is, like, 39 going on 80, basically. <laughs> This version includes the um, ignorance and want kids, which I think we, like, I've said pretty much everything I have to say about them. I don't like how, like, Scrooge's reaction to seeing the want and ignorance kids is to go, like, well, is there nowhere they can go, which doesn't make any sense, because he just kind of explicitly said, like, look, buddy, they're the personification of the ideas of ignorance and want. They're not real children, Ebenezer. <laughs> I feel like the, um, isn't there anywhere they can go line would have made a lot more sense. Like, maybe seeing, like, some poor mining kids or something, but instead- Yeah, that would have given them an opportunity to actually use that scene in a meaningful way, rather than just show us some miners singing a Christmas carol for 30 seconds. Yeah, and then, like, we get the, like, double weirdness of now we have a scene where Scrooge uses this line in a moment where it doesn't make any sense, and then, like, the ghost of Christmas present does his, like, booming, like, are there no prisons? And this, like, echoes over- I like the the fact that it echoes that's what i was starting this off with i like the like echoing repeat of are there no prisons as scrooge like covers his ears and but i don't like how it's i don't like how that comes into the story um yeah so i referenced earlier how this scene just kind of segues right into the ghost of christmas uh, yet to come scene and specifically how this happens is right after like the echoing stops he's on the street by himself now and um i really like the suspense of this scene because i will say that like the ghost of christmas yet to come is like pretty disappointing in how he looks like it's i mean literally just like a black cloak and like here it doesn't even have a hood like <laughs> It's just a black sheet over some man, and his hand isn't even covered. I like the suspense of, like, we just see Scrooge's reaction to the Ghost of Christmas yet to come, and, like, see him plead to this figure that we can't see yet. Which, actually, that makes me think, would it be better if you had an adaptation where we didn't actually see the Ghost of Christmas yet to come at all? The answer is yes. We just watch Scrooge reacting to whatever he's seeing, and it must be pretty horrifying based on the look on his face. Yeah, I like that a lot better. I mean, in general, I find like people trying to personify death usually kind of lame, Kind of the, like, horror movie principle of, like, once you see the thing, it's not scary anymore. Like, once you see this personification of death, or the ghost of Christmas yet to come, or whatever we're talking about, once you actually see, like, oh, it's just a man in a cloak, like, it's definitely a lot less intimidating. If we just see Scrooge's reaction because he knows what this figure is supposed to represent, then we think more about the representation, more than we, more so than we think about, like, oh, it's just a dude in a sheet. We get the, um, kind of, like, I call them the grave robbers in my notes, but they're not grave robbers, they're... 
house robbers who are specifically targeting the house of a man who has just died. <laughs> and one of them is actually his normal maid. No, I like that, but at the same time, like, the fact that he's so nice to her in the morning, like, you think there would be maybe just, like, a little bit of, like, so, if I died, you wouldn't, like, take my clothes off my body and sell them, would you? And she's like, where would you get that idea from? No, instead, like, he's just super giddy and nice towards her. I don't know, maybe they have that conversation later. <laughs> yeah, I referred to them in my notes as the dead guy stuff ladies. Yeah, um, and here, I, like, once again, I feel like if they wanted to put, like, if they wanted to put so much emphasis on how the poor live, then I think they should have redirected this towards, like, the Cratchit scene. With the dead guy stuff ladies, I feel like it's hard to kind of understand what the point they're trying to make there is. Yeah, well, I just, I like that they show how poor the, like, dead guy stuff ladies are, because then it, like... Because I don't think you're really supposed to hate them. You know, like, no. it's, it's supposed to be, like, a pretty... I mean, at least, like, as an anarchist, I see anyone poor doing anything, and I'm like, hell yeah, get them. Let's <laughs> get it. Um, but I think even the, like, the average viewer would be like, yeah, I mean, can you blame them? <laughs> but once again, I just feel like if, if you are making this adaptation, and you're thinking, like, okay, we really have to show poverty, then why would you not also show this in the Cratchit scene? It's, it's so hard to kind of tell what the point they're trying to make is that it almost seems like, well, they were just taking the opportunity to be like, oh, here's a fact about how Victorian London was, is that uh, when people died, uh, other people would take their stuff and sell it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of a weird scene, but I like its inclusion. Because I think it's implied, you know, it's supposed to be implied that the reason that they're stealing his stuff and they're being, you know, so mean to him in death is because he was such a mean guy in life. But I think judging by the characterization of these people, it seems like this is something that they would be doing no matter what. It takes away kind of some of the bite of the scene if it's like, well, if Scrooge becomes nice, you know, they still might do this to him when he dies. Yeah, well, exactly. That's why, like, seeing the fact that it's his maid. Like, I want to see the awkward conversation they have where Scrooge, like, confronts, like, yeah, I have, like, a ghost show me. <laughs> you, like, selling all my things. You wouldn't really do that. It wasn't really you, right? <laughs> and she's like, uh, what? But, like, once again, Scrooge, like, does not understand the foreshadowing whatsoever, and, like, sees his grave. No, spirit, no, 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 no. Melodramatically cries and falls on it. And, like, again, it seems like the emphasis uh, is, like, that he's afraid of dying, more so than that he's afraid of people not mourning him. The fact that they put the emphasis on that in this particular adaptation is particularly weird because he spent so much time talking about how he's too old to change. Like, he's clearly thinking about his mortality. Right, this is definitely, like, in some adaptations you might think, oh, he's never really thought about the fact that he's old and he's going to die before. This is a Scrooge who is very well aware of the fact that he's old and he's going to die someday. And especially the inclusion of, like, Scrooge watching his sister and watching Marley die, like, two of the only people that he's ever had a serious connection with. Like, he's probably been thinking about his own mortality for decades. 
Right. So all of this makes it even more important than usual for the makers of the adaptation to clearly show it's not about the fact that he's dying. It's about the fact that no one cares and no one comes to his funeral and all that, which we don't get. I do want to note that in most adaptations and in the original book, we don't really find out what happens to all of Scrooge's hoarded money that he's, you know, been holding on to and not spending. Because the people that talk about him dying just have no idea what happened to the money. In this version, we do find out what happens to the money. He leaves it to the company. But we have no indication whatsoever of who is in charge of the company now. Because the only other person we know who is linked to this company is Bob Cratchit. And there's no way he's getting the money. It's definitely not going to Bob Cratchit. <laughs> that because... would be like an interesting <laughs> We're like, oh, we didn't have to have a change of heart anyways. Because Bob Cratchit was about to become insanely rich in a couple years. <laughs> yeah, and... The, the thing is that we know Bob Cratchit doesn't benefit from this because we see the Cratchit family and yeah. we see Tiny Tim. We see that Tiny Tim has died from bad leg. <laughs> they they go out of their way to invent an aftermath story for Scrooge's money. Like, clearly someone was like, oh shit, we should address what happens to his money. And then someone was like, I'll write it in later. And then, like, the first person didn't look it over again. So when Scrooge wakes up from all of this, he kind of immediately accosts his maid. Which is a definite change from most adaptations, because Scrooge always has this kind of like freak out moment where he's like, oh my god, I'm still alive and it's Christmas Day. But now he's doing it in front of someone. Which makes it so, so much creepier when he yeah. freaks out and starts like, he, do, he mean, does like little song and dance. <laughs> I personally, like, am a little emotionally attached to this scene just because, like, this is the version that I had so imprinted in my mind. Like, when I read the book, there was a moment where I was like, wait a second, doesn't he have, like, a maid that he, like, freaks out? So, I mean, like, it definitely seems like a natural addition. Like, it doesn't seem out of place, but that doesn't make it not weird. Because I think this ending scene is always weird in every adaptation. We're like, wait, are we supposed to be celebrating the fact that this old man just completely lost his mind? And this version, too, I think, like, plays up the fact that he's had, like, a bit of a psychotic break. Like, he's happy about it, but he's definitely, like, like, this has kind of fucked him up just a little bit. I'm not gonna say that it's not realistic, because I think this is definitely oh, no, what I mean, would happen. In if some so ways, I like it better than just, like, Scrooge is like, everything is great now. But it does definitely call into question, like, how humane the ghosts are as a strategy. <laughs> and also, it's the job of a fiction writer to dispense with reality when it doesn't serve the point that they're trying to make. Yeah, because here all I'm thinking about is, is ghost therapy really that healthy? Rather than, like, oh, look... He's had a change of heart. Um, yeah, so this was the moment where I realized that the maid was also the one who sold his things. And once again, that makes you consider, you would think that Scrooge would maybe not be so happy to see this woman. <laughs> but instead, we do get a moment where, like, he grasps the curtains and he's like, The curtains are still here. They're still here. You didn't, you didn't tear them down and sell them. They're, they're here now. Everything's here. <laughs> and At I which point I think the maid is like, oh, shit, have you been reading my diary? <laughs> I like the idea that she would have a diary where she's like, fuck, I hate Mr. Scrooge. I can't wait to steal his things when he dies. 
I like this, that, like, he's, I think in a lot of adaptations, Scrooge kind of seems to get off too easy with, like, the decades of, like, horrible things he's done, whereas here he seems, like, legitimately self-loathing. So the maid takes the place of the turkey boy in the part where Scrooge finds out that it's Christmas Day and he hasn't missed it, which made me think, oh, he's going to send her to go get the turkey. But no, like, he just, like, he gives her a big christmas bonus and he sends her off and then he goes back up to his room and he goes out the window he he he, le- goes. <laughs> <laughs> he, he defenestrates himself dying instantly <laughs> he leans out the window and finds this boy yeah, I mean, overall, the maid scene is just weird because, like, he keeps telling her what he saw, and the maid is obviously pretty freaked out by this. Um, you referenced the song and dance numbers earlier. My favorite is the one where he's just like, I don't know anything. I never did know anything. But now I know that I don't know all of the Christmas morning. And then he's like, I must stand in my head. I must stand in my head. The maid, like, screams and runs out of the room at which point he decides it's a good idea to chase her to the stairs and then he also like starts like kissing her cheek and stuff and it's just it's very weird like she clearly does no matter how much he raises her pay she's not getting paid enough for this yeah so the turkey boy scene is slightly weird because he isn't the one who tells him that it's christmas day So that, like, takes half of his role in the story away right there. And then when Scrooge tells him to go get the turkey, he responds, Won't occur. Won't occur. Or at least that's what the (laughs) subtitles put it. I like that. I like that as a response. That's a good way of telling someone you don't want to do something. Won't occur. One thing that I like about this is that I feel like it's always kind of weird when, like, he has someone, like, give the turkey to the crashers and then he shows up later because then like wait why couldn't you just bring it when you were coming um but this like um keeps intact the like he gets the turkey for the cratchits but he goes to um his nephew's party instead one thing i don't like about the cratchits receiving the turkey scene is that tiny tim (laughs) immediately goes i bet screw gave us the turkey and everyone's like why the fuck would you think that tiny tim and he's like i don't know i just have a sense of it which (laughs) i think the implication is that because he's disabled he is like magic (laughs) yeah i think it's one of those like problematic kind of like problem magic (laughs) yeah it's problematic yeah so i guess maybe it's one of those like people say like you know if you're blind you know like maybe you can like actually see the future (laughs) Or something like, yeah, he has trouble walking, and it's possible that bad leg will kill him. <laughs> but while he's still alive, the like bad leg has like transferred all of its energy into like giving him this kind of like um, sixth sense, not the one you're thinking of. The who sent the turkey sense. <laughs> Yeah, because it doesn't seem like he's necessarily, like, super good at- like, like, the fact that he's good at guessing is not, like, an already established character trait. That was- that's just such a weird little moment. I don't know why they did that. It's pretty weird. The only other notes I took were just, like, two quotes from Scrooge- Um, towards the end that I think really, like, highlight why this is my favorite Scrooge. It's okay to say that, right? Yeah, I, I mean, mean I, I already said that I've seen the best Jacob Marley possible, so I think 
Obviously, there's many more adaptations to see, but so far, this is my favorite Scrooge. Are you with me? I'm with you. You're with me. Um, and two quotes that like I think highlight at the end why I really appreciate this Scrooge is um, when Cratchit is obviously pretty like freaked out by how nice he's being all of a sudden and giving him a raise. He says, I haven't taken leave of my senses, Bob. I've come to them. I like that because it kind of reassures the viewer who's like, wait, is he like genuinely lost it? <laughs> like, oh no, no, it's okay. He's just... He's coming to his senses. And I also, because I pointed out earlier that, like, I like that he's still self-loathing here because he kind of should be. <laughs> he should feel bad about what he's done. He shouldn't just get to be, like, a giddy old man, you know? Like, he has a lot to atone for. So I like here that he says, I don't deserve to be so happy. <laughs> I can't help it. I like that. And then at the very end, we get a title card that says, The End, in quotes, Scrooge. <laughs> there should have been like a tagline, like, this is only his story. And <laughs> it's a Rashomon kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like a five hour long version of a Christmas. Now is he what Tiny Tim's night was like? <laughs> what if like for the rest of the characters, it's just them having like a nice dream? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I think it's probably the most accurate feature-length version. That's probably true. It's also the longest version that we've watched up to this point. Everything that we've watched has been like an hour or less. For me, at least from what we've seen so far, it could always change. But for me, I think it really comes down to the Reginald Owen version and the Alistair Sim version. Because... Both of them, I would say, are about as faithful to the book. They just take slightly different... Like, I mean, I personally like Alistair Sims' interpretation of Scrooge better, and I also like Scrooge's backstory, which makes up most of the plot in this one. Um, that's kind of lacking from the Reginald Owen one, but... Obviously, as I said at the time, there's a lot of things I like about that one, too, that maybe I had problems with in this version. The point of this podcast isn't to rank adaptations but for me personally this and the reginald owens one i think um come the closest to fully capturing like what charles dickens had in mind which isn't necessarily the best adaptation of something so we still have plenty more to watch but just coming from the perspective of we read the book and now we're watching these movies these two that I'm talking about, I think, feel the most like they're coming off the page. There's a reason why this is considered one of, if not the, uh, classic versions of A Christmas Carol. And now I understand after seeing some other versions why this is the one I grew up with. So, this has been by far the longest episode that we've recorded. Uh, what's our time right now? We are 95 minutes in. <sighs> I think that's longer than the movie. It is longer than the movie. That being said, I do not want to do this any longer. I've been Ben Schultz. I've been Nora Schultz. And you have been listening to Trying to Adapt. Thank you.